Thank you for listening to this podcast of the teaching of Walford Kaufman. This series is on the book of Revelation. Please get your Bibles out as this episode gives us an introduction of this wonderful book. Our study today on the book of Revelation comes from Revelation, the second chapter, verses 8 through 17. We're looking at the letters to the believers at Smyrna and Pergamum. First, there we see Smyrna, the suffering church. But let us always be reminded of this. When you look at the Scripture from the Old Testament through the very end of Revelation there, Scripture links persecution and spiritual strength. Oh, so many times we're praying, Lord, deliver me from this problem. Deliver me from this struggle we're going through. But we need to look back and see it is through those difficult times, those struggles, those persecutions that we grew closer to Lord. But also, as you look at this word persecution, it is not just those who have paid the price with their life. This persecution is those that's been under pressure. They're catching it from all sides, problems and all in their life because they're serving Jesus Christ. But here's something to look at. Persecution really does bring a blessing upon the church. It brings two things. When the church is persecuted, we see that it purifies it from sin. Yes, church Churches have sin in them because it has people in them. People are sinners, and even sinners saved by grace are still sin. But when persecution comes, it purifies the church. Also, it affirms the reality of its members' faith. Oh, there's many that will say, oh, yes, I'm a believer. I trust Jesus. And the first little problem to come their way, they're questioning, wondering, are they even saved? But see, with persecution, the reality, it will come to the surface. But Smyrna is very unusual. It's only one of two churches, and we will see that in weeks to come, the other church. But Smyrna is one of only two churches that receives no condemnation in its letter, no criticizing of what's wrong in that church from Jesus Christ. And Jesus, yes, he is that correspondent. Jesus, through John, writing this book. But he has some specific descriptions of who he is. Yes, I can be a certain name, but I am a pastor here. I am a volunteer here. I am a friend here. The different names. In this particular writing, Jesus describes himself as the first and the last. Let's look at our scripture. We're looking at... uh, that writing from John in the book of Revelation, the second chapter, starting in verse 8. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. 
So yes, here's Jesus. And he says there in verse 8 that he is the first and the last. That's an Old Testament title for God. Fully God, fully man. For we see it also says who was dead because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. It took a sacrifice, the shedding of blood that we could be saved. But how could this be? Jesus. Yes, God became flesh in Jesus. And that who was dead, it took flesh to die. A perfect sacrifice. But then it also says has come to life. Fully God, fully man, but now has come to life. The power of an indestructible life. The power of an indestructible life. I've heard that old saying in the past, you can't keep a good man down. Uh, Well, truth is, you can keep a good man down, but you can't keep Jesus down. But He allows us to realize there is power in allowing Him to live in us. But why was this so important to the church there in Smyrna? Why was this particular titles written there for that church? Well, it was important to the believers in Smyrna because if they should die at the hands of their persecutors, beside them is the one who has conquered death. You know, I do some counseling. I go visiting and certain things I have to say, I don't understand what you're going through. I've never been there. I've not walked in your shoes. But when we come to Jesus, he knows about persecution. He knows about problems. He knows about pressure in life. And he can look at us and put his arm around us and wrap us close and say, I know what you've been through. But there is hope. Because, see, he's been there. He has conquered death. Now, let's look at the church for just a moment. Most likely, it began during Paul's Ephesian ministry. We don't have specific quotes as such in the scripture that he started that church. But most likely, because of his work there in Ephesus, he was able to touch somebody, maybe somebody that was there in Ephesus visiting from Smyrna, who went back and said, I've heard the news of Jesus Christ from this fellow called Paul, and let's start learning more about it. So it most likely began during Paul's Ephesian ministry. All we know about this church is what we read right here in this particular scripture in Revelation. But it is kind of strange that the Greek word translated Smyrna was also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to translate that Hebrew word for myrrh. And where have we seen that before? Myrrh. Well, you know, that's that, that's that lotion, that, that, um, chemical as such that was used to prepare the body for death. But you remember what Jesus received as a baby from the wise men. It was gold and frankincense and myrrh. Wow, what a gift to give a baby. But wasn't Jesus born to die? And so this was the way even those wise men, being led by God at that early stage of Jesus' life, was just a reminder he was born to die. But you know how myrrh is produced. Smyrna... This idea of Smyrna and myrrh 
Myrrh is produced by squishing, flattening out, crushing uh, a plant where this this lotion came from, this this chemical came from. And isn't that something? It took the 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 mashing down very hard, the the just squishing it down with all the pressure you could give to get this out. And there you smelled this free this this fragrance, this wonderful odor. And what this is symbolic is for Smyrna, the best came out of them when they were under pressure, when they were being squished, as we would say, by the persecution. That's when that sweet aroma arose to the Heavenly Father. But now, let's look at the city. This particular Smyrna was built in 290 B.C. Well, that's kind of strange to say that. It was first settled in 3000 B.C. The first Greek settlers came about 1000 B.C. And then the city itself was destroyed by the Lydians around 600 B.C. And there the city sat there in its ruins for almost three centuries. But two of uh, Alexandria the Great uh, successors had it rebuilt, stage by stage, piece by piece. And so the, the citizens there in Smyrna were so thankful to the Roman government because their city had been rebuilt. And so they built a temple in 195 B.C., not for the Lord, but for Rome. Yes, Rome, the capital there, to be worshipped. Isn't that something? To build a temple that we could worship, quote, the government. And then another thing kind of happened that was different. A century later, Roman General Sulla was leading his troops in battle. And winter came and caught the troops totally off guard. They were not prepared clothing-wise for a harsh winter. But the news of that got to the population of Smyrna. And the legend is that the people of Smyrna took their own garments, garments they might have been wearing at that time, took them off and gave it to that carrier uh, to go back to those troops and carry them that clothing. Well, that really was a great public relations for that town of Smyrna. Already they were very thankful for Rome for rebuilding their city. Now they're thankful for those Roman soldiers off in battle that even wanted to help them. So what did they do? Rome rewarded Smyrna's loyalty because they allowed a new temple. Well, they already had a temple worshiping Rome. Now they're going to build a new temple dedicated to the Emperor Tiberius. Wow. What happened in that kind of situation? You think about it. Here's a place already worshiping Rome. Now is worshiping this Emperor Tiberius. And so this town, Smyrna, was a center for emperor worship. It was also one of the most beautiful cities in all of Asia. There was an excellent harbor there, great roads, well laid out streets. So many times we think of in those days not being very well organized, kind of piecemeal city. No, these roads were laid out in a very organized way, great transportation through there. And it was also noted uh, center for science and medicine. 
But here's a commendation for them. Uh, some great things that happened to them. They were faithful under pressure. Faithful under pressure because they would not be involved in the cult of emperor worship. Now, they willingly submitted to the emperor's civil authority, but they refused to offer sacrifices to him. What Jesus said, given to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God, give it to God. And so there is a separation of church and state. We need to pray for our government. We need to support, I mean, uh, pay our taxes. Uh, that's not a big winner, but that's what we've got to do. Pay our taxes. We need to vote. We need to serve in the military if you're called. I mean, these are the pray for our government officials, but we're not to worship our government officials. Not at all. But they were faithful under pressure. They wouldn't get involved in the cult of emperor worship because they would not participate in pagan religions in general. It was not just, it was just not the emperor worship. There was others. There was many diverse uh, gods, mix of gods. And then they got in trouble because they worshiped an invisible god. I know we have a hard time explaining God the Father, God in heaven, and since we haven't seen him. See, they'd love to worship their gods because they had made them. They carved them out. I mean, wood or stone, whatever it could have been, the trees or the river or whatever they might have been worshipped. They could, they could see it. But see, for these early believers there in Smyrna, they had no God as evidence by sight. It was in their hearts. They were also considered antisocial for re- refusing to participate. Yes, refusing to participate in cult worship of the emperors, uh, pagan worship. They weren't going to be involved, so they were classified as antisocial. But then, even adding more to this, the problems and all, there was accusations from the Jews. Uh, scripture says they, they're supposed to be Jews, but they, what is it, the synagogue of, of Satan? In other words, they might have said they were a Jew, but they were not worshiping the same God that they worship. See, that's the thing about today. A true believing Jew, at least they worship the same God that we do. They just need to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But this group of Jews that was causing problems made several accusations. I mean, some ones that really got them in some trouble. Uh, they were accused of cannibalism. Where did they get that idea? Well, they, these people, these Jews, these outsiders of the church, heard about they were taking of the blood, what, and the body. Well, where that came from is because of the misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine a little child in church for the first time and, and a pastor is talking about as we take this, the blood of Christ? Well, it's juice. Except for you that get to participate with the wine. It's juice. It's, it's not blood. As we take of the body of Christ, it's bread. But see, people heard what they wanted to and turned around. And so these early believers in Smyrna were being accused of being cannibals. Also, they were accused of immorality. And that came because the early believers practiced a holy kiss. Basically, kissing on the cheek. Uh, that's about, I mean, that's it. I mean, that's it. They greeted each other. They got close to each other. But there was not immorality. 
It was not tearing them up because there was a perversion of some kind of sex act. And it was not that. It was just the way these Jews interpreted in their minds. And then they were accused of breaking up homes. And there probably was some truth to that because it will about if a new person in Christ goes back to home and said, Honey, I've become a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, you're not going to go back to that church anymore. Well, there was problems. And so one made a believer and the other not. Yes, there could have been some break up at home. But you remember Paul specifically teaches Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love that wife. It's, it's just like your body. And so what he was saying even then was, you stay with that mate. You have a wonderful opportunity to witness to them. And so breaking up homes, yes, they were accused of that. And also this group in Smyrna were faithful through poverty. Faithful under pressure, now faithful through poverty. For many of the Smyrna believers were slaves. Now, once again, be reminded, slaves in that day was different than what we think of. For some of them could go back to their homes at night. It was about like a job, but you had to pay this money off. But it was a problem there. If these believers, you know, who are slaves, are they going to try to, you know, run away? No. What did Paul say? You be obedient to the Lord, and you also you serve your master here on the earth. So many of the Smyrna's believers were slaves, and believers had lost their possessions through persecution. You had a job. You were able to do such and such, and then they found out, oh, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You could lose your job, or you could have even your possessions reclaimed by others. There were some crazy things in those days. But here is a commendation. You're faithful under pressure, and you're faithful through poverty. And even Jesus there, through the writer John, says there, you are what? You are rich. Not in the things of this world, but in the things of God. But what was the command? We see this, do not fear. Do not fear. Boy, that's a lot in the scriptures because we let fear control us. But here is Jesus saying, do not fear, but be cautious. Watch out. The devil is busy. And is that so today? Look at your media. Listen to your media. Whatever's going on in this world today. Oh, this is where we see it is something to fear, but don't fear. Don't fear. But watch out. The devil is busy. One thing he could be doing is casting you into prison. But I don't want you to think of a prison just like bars, a locked door. Sometimes we've locked the doors. We have locked ourselves into our own little prisons. And we we have chained ourselves down. I know many people today. I can't come. I've got this illness. I've got this problem. And I hate to say this, but there is a very good chance that illness, that problem, that situation, they created themselves and they have not turned it over to the Lord. They have not. And they've, they're in their self-imposed prison. So watch out. Because Satan, see this is what Satan does. Satan gets a hold of some people's minds and that keeps them away from witnessing. It keeps them being involved in a church and being fed and also sharing with others. And see, Satan has won. But also, 
There's another warning for us. The devil is busy because he's going to be testing you. Testing you. And that happens so many times, doesn't it? I heard about a gentleman one time he at the cash register. He was, I think, a meal. Something he paid for or whatever it is. But I know as he had paid for it, the lady there gave him too much change back. He looked and said, ma'am, I, I, I'm sorry, but you made an error. You gave me too much change back. And the story goes that the, the cashier looked at him and said, yes, I know. Well, the customer kind of looked like, well, you know. And she said, yes, I heard that you were a Christian. And I want to see if you were honest. So testing can come in so many different ways. Where you work, at the school, uh, in your neighborhood, or even family, who will test to see, are you truly a believer? So this is going on. But then the assault will be intense, but brief. This is basically saying, there's going to be uh, times of pain. It's going to be really tough. It's going to push you to your limit. But then it's going to be a brief time. Now, as you look at that scripture, it talks about 10 days. The consensus is that 10 days means pretty much 10 days. 10, 24-hour days. Some say well, that might be representative of 10 uh, months, 10 years, 10 centuries. I, I don't know about all that. Just take it as this is going to be for 10 days. And then there's the counsel. Wonderful counsel the Lord gives. And says that you will receive a crown. You're going to receive a crown because you have been faithful. Eternal life. This comes from a genuine saving faith. See, the scriptures, if you go through, do here's a Bible study for you. If you don't want to go book by book, chapter by chapter and all this, do a study under Christians, uh, about Christians who have persevered in the times of trouble. It'd make a very interesting study, wouldn't it? But see that verse again, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. That's going to be the conclusion of every letter to these seven churches. You're going to hear that again. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to churches. These words are to emphasize the believer's responsibility to heed to it. I praise God for His grace and His mercy. It's not that I earn my salvation, but I still have a responsibility. I still have a responsibility to grow in the Lord. And so I can't say, well, I didn't know that. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We do have a responsibility. Let us always be reminded of that. And then it says the second death. Is hell. But you don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about that hell if we trust in the Lord. When we read this scripture in English, uh, not be hurt. Wow. We don't really get excited about it, do we? We don't go, oh, I wonder what that means. But in the Greek... This is the strongest negative you could ever have. I mean, this is like underlining it and highlighting and put quotation marks around it. This is basically what it's saying. 
The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now we're going to, unless Jesus comes and takes us home and how wonderful that's going to be, we're all going to die that first death. We're going to die that first death, but we're not going to have to worry at all about the second death, and that is hell. Now, let's look at that second church for this day, Pergamum. And this is a worldly church. And so let's look at that scripture. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is a message from the one with a sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some the manna that has been hidden away in heaven, and I will give to each one of a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. So there we see the church in Pergamum. And this is a worldly church. And a worldly church is anything, a worldliness is anything that places anything on earth before the things of eternity. In other words, when we put anything before God. And boy, look at our lives today. Do we put anything before God? Vacations trips, our pleasure, our desires, our laziness. Everywhere we turn, we see we've put things before God. And who's the correspondent? Yes, it's Jesus. But in this particular writing, He is now the holder of the two-edged sword. And that two-edged sword refers to the Word of God. There we see the power of God. In, in exposing our innermost thoughts of the human heart. you talking about, uh, I've seen guys cleaning fish and get that knife and just fillet that fish, just kind of open that fish right up. Well, what can God do to us through this two-edged sword? He can lay us open, bare, and we can see our sin. We can see our problems. We can see what we've done. This particular writing our name for Jesus depicts Jesus as a judge and executioner. Uh, I'll be honest, this is not a positive introduction, but a threatening one. A threatening one. It's the first negative introduction of Christ. But the church in Pergamum faced some serious judgment. That's why this two-edged sword was needed. And there we see the church. There's no record 
of how this church was started. Some believe that it was founded during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Just like I've talked about church in Smyrna, there's a good chance their group of folks heard about the gospel and went back home and started up this church. This church here, this city, it was 100 miles north of Ephesus. And Smyrna was located about halfway between. There's no port there, but it was the area's ancient capital. Not just that country, but in that whole region. It was considered Asia's greatest city. For almost 250 years, the capital had been in that place. In that place. It was also the center of worship for four of the main gods of the Greco-Roman world. Athenia, Asclepios, Diosos, and Zeus. And Zeus is probably the only one I pronounce actually right out of that four. But we see four main false gods being worshipped there in that city. And then it had emperor worship too. Not all the temples and all like it was in Smyrna, but they did have emperor worship. And their law was required. Uh, a law required a sacrifice to be made to the emperor. Some of them, at these places, it was required every week. Some just once a year. But you can see where the believers could get in trouble. The government officials coming to your home and said, you haven't made any sacrifices to the emperor Whoa, no, I, I haven't. Well, you could get prison, beaten, or lose all your possessions. What's the commendation here? What is good about this particular church there in Pergamum? The wonderful thing is Christ understands where they live. He understands totally what is going on in that place. And we see, it says, look where Satan has his throne. Some think this could have been the altar of Zeus. In that particular temple, this altar for this false god was 120 feet by 112 feet in size. That's humongous. And a podium that was 18 feet high. So some think that could have been the where Satan had his throne. But some think it was connected with the worship of the, of the god of Asclepios. Why I say that? Asclepios was the god of healing. People came from all over to be healed. Now, I say how awful, but you know, there's people that would do some strange things, especially for their health, but also the health of a loved one. Let's get that person healed. Now, here's the way they got healed. A snake, a snake, yes, a snake had to touch you. See, the God of Asclepios was depicted as a snake. But you go and remember that symbol that's used for modern day medicine? Remember there's that cross and then like a, what, snake on it? Wow. So in the temple of Asclepios, uh, non-poisonous snakes had their freedom. They roamed all over that. But for you to be healed... What you had to do was lay down on the floor. Some went to sleep, slept there overnight, whatever it could be. Or they laid down. But the whole idea was they had to lay down and the snake to come and to touch you. Roll, you know, squirm over you, whatever it may be. But the snake had to touch you. Uh, how many of you would decide not to be healed? But that 
where some think that the, the throne of Satan was. And you think about it. Uh, many people, this idea of Satan always being like a serpent. So that's where folks get this. But during the reign of Emperor Nicolaitan, uh, some Christian uh, stonecutters were executed for refusing to carve an image of Asclepius. Wow. Would that, something like that happen this, this day and time? What about a baker that uh, refuses to make a cake for a same-sex couple and may lose his business, being sued? All these things go about because somebody made a stand. Well, we see way back, Christian Stonecutter said, I'm not going to make an image for a false god. And they were executed. What is ahead of us today when the government takes more and more of our freedoms away? And we can't worship Christ as we should. Can't even mention His name in certain places. But then, uh, their faith, even in Antipas' death. Tradition has it that one of the leaders in the church at Pergamum, this Antipas, now here's the tragedy of this particular follower of Christ's death. He was, here they say that in Pergamum, he was roasted to death inside a brass bull the emperor, Domitian, had him killed. Not just to be beaten or on a cross, but actually put in a brass bull that had been made. And there he was roasted to death. Well, you think of what's happened recently of a, of a military pilot from another country being burned to death. Folks, what's ahead of us in this world today? But he, Jesus spoke of Antipas in such a wonderful way. My faithful witness. You know, that was a title that Jesus even used for himself in an earlier scripture when Jesus walked on this earth. So it says, my faithful, faithful witness. And then we see the concern. The concern here is some held to false teaching. Yes, there were some. The teaching of Balaam. And then the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Yes, these were folks that were promising, uh, you know, yes, you can trust Jesus Christ. You can do these things for Jesus. But what else you can do? You can have sexual immorality. You can eat uh, of the meat that had been offered to uh, in sacrifices to false gods. It's basically the concept we have today is you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and then go and do whatever you want to do. So that is where Jesus is concerned. For they held the false teaching. and But here is where we really need to listen very carefully. It says, we, we're going to be held accountable when we don't practice church discipline. That was a concern. That Jesus was concerned about the false teachers, but He also was sharing that the failure to practice church discipline. We share in the guilt when we tolerate sin and fail to discipline. We tolerate this sin. We fail to discipline. We're held accountable. So we need to be very careful. I mean, are we to do it in a loving, caring way? Yes. But we need to be very careful what we are tolerating in this day and time. So here's a command. 
there in verse 16, it's very to the point. Repent. Repent. And that's what we're doing. And then do not tolerate evil at all. Do not tolerate evil at all. We need to provide a place where unbelievers can hear the truth of Jesus Christ. So many times we won't make it so easy. There's no conviction there. They don't hear the... Why even change? Have better marriages, raise their kids. These are some nice messages. But what we got to get at is they need to repent of their sins. They need to be convicted of it. But we can do it gently. We can do it lovingly. We can do it graciously. But we need to make sure to do it firmly. Firmly. And here's the counsel. And there it again is there. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church. The first thing is promise of hidden manna. The hidden manna, that is the bread of life as Jesus. So you see this, this idea of the hidden manna is simply is to know Jesus. And then the promise of a white stone. That's God's will. There's a Roman custom that white stones were given to the winners in the athletic contest. These white stones with the name of the athlete's uh, name on it also served as their ticket into the special awards banquet. So white stones that were given to them, you know, we think of uh, gold medals, a ribbon around the neck uh, given to the winners. And then this idea that they got this white stone and then they received a new name, a new name on it. But what about the idea of this new name written on it? Well, the Greek word used for this new is not in contrast to the old. This new is a sense of a different quality. So we, what happens? We invite Jesus into our heart. We become a new person in Jesus Christ. The white stone, that's our entrance into heaven. Our new name, we're a new person in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You this day that we can have this new life in You. And Lord, thank You that we can have entrance into heaven because of what You've done, not us. Bless now each person that's listened to this and let us continue in Your Word and continue study. In Jesus' name, Amen.